Genesis chapter 28, and we'll start with verse 1 and go all the way through to 22. Starting with verse 1, uh, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took a stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tent to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for just the, these four families that stood before uh, Mission Church and before you ultimately, and, and we just pray that you would bless them, God. And uh, just like that, our word that we just read from you, God, it is going to have to be something that you show up and that you do. Would you show us the parts of our hearts that, that need that surgery, the hardened parts of our heart by sin that you, uh, that you want to cut out by your word, God, and... Um, And would you just show us what you have for us this morning? We know and we we ultimately have seen so many times over and over again how you do show up. So we ask for one more time that you would show up again, God. We thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, Leah and I got married 
in June and the year of our Lord, 2015. Um, and then, oh, thank you. Uh, and then just a little bit after that, we're coming back from our honeymoon, um, and we have a picture from that as well. Um, and about this point, I was about 200 and uh, almost 40 pounds, and I tell you that for a reason, um, because when we got home, it hit me like a jackhammer to the spleen. My stomach picked up a hitchhiker called a parasite. Um, it was the worst thing that would ever happen to me in my life. Thankfully, it hit post-honeymoon, um, but I pretty much just lived on the floor of our bathroom in our tiny apartment uh, for about a month, um, and that month felt like six years. I had this parasite, and it was the worst thing in the world. And uh, at the time, I was doing roofing, which is probably the worst line of profession you can be in with a parasite in your stomach that causes you to have things happen to you. Um, I, can, I can't tell you how many times that I would be up, I would get to the top of a roof, and I would be so tired and worn out because I'm dehydrated and pooped. Um, and I would get to the top of the roof, and I would just have to lay down behind the chimney, and I was like, oh, or I just... Almost lost the mic. Or I just lay down at the top, just kind of fold it over the top, just, ugh, I can't, I can't do this. Um, and I also had to contemplate, uh, honestly, whether or not I should just jump off and, and hurry and go to the bathroom because it, it was that tough sometimes. Um, I would not wish that month on my worst enemy. Um, but really what happened was, like, I just lost all hope of ever being a functioning adult again. I was like, I'm just going to have to live at home and, and be... Uh, just in the bathroom at, at all times. It was just a vegetable. Um, and ultimately, so I was 240-something pounds. I lost like 30 pounds with this parasite because I couldn't keep anything down. Um, and so my thought was, where's my hope? I gotta, why live at this point? So uh, I go to the doctor, and they tell me I have a parasite. Um, and they give me some stuff to get rid of it. And they said, well, it can take anywhere from, you know, about two to three days to two to three weeks. And I was like, <laughs> that's okay, I hope it's two to three days. Um, but so I was, I was happy and, and sad at that moment. Um, but I just kept repeating the words of the doctor in my head, like, this too shall pass, this too shall pass, this too shall pass. Uh, hopefully quite literally. Um, but in that moment, like, I, I found some hope. And it came from a promise from the doctor. And so uh, here's the truth for you and I. We need hope. You and I need hope. The question for us is, how do we get it? How do we get it? How do we keep it? Where is our hope? Because maybe we're in a time in our lives where it just feels like we're all alone. Maybe we don't really know what we're doing with our lives anymore. Maybe we just lost a job. Maybe we just lost a, a best friend. Maybe darkness is, just seems to be pressing in on all sides. Maybe we're just worn down, exhausted, depressed, anxious, worried, when we lose the things or the people we love, when we have no clue as to what the other side even looks like, that, that hope, we don't even know what that would look like. When life has crumpled us to the floor, what do we do? Where is our hope? Because no matter what stage of life we're in, we all have something that will crumple us to the floor that's going to, either it's happening right now, it just happened or it's about to happen, and it's gonna cause us to lose hope. But what happens is when we lose our hope, then we lose our purpose. When we lose that vision, that hope of, of it's going to be okay one day, then we lose our purpose. Because if we don't have any hope, what's the point? Maybe 
We want to be missionaries to an unreached people group, but the difficulty of just this part of life is making us lose our hope and, and making us think of reasons why we shouldn't go. Maybe we want to adopt a baby or be a foster parent, but the darkness of this time in our life is causing us to lose our hope, and it makes us think of all the reasons why we shouldn't do it. Maybe we want to share the gospel with people, but man, my job right now is just kind of up in the air. Like, I want to focus on that right now. We lose our hope. We lose our focus. What we have been called to do as Christians, as ambassadors, as evangelists, as missionaries here on earth. Um, So we need hope because hope leads us to purpose. So then our question becomes, where is it at? What is this hope? How do we keep this hope? When life crumples us to the floor, how do we make sure that we do not lose this hope so that we do not lose our very purpose in life? And the answer is actually found in Genesis 28. And it's this. Remember the promises. Psalm 119, verse 50 says, this is my comfort in my affliction. Everything that goes wrong, everything in my life, the darkness pressing in in my life, this is my comfort that your promise gives me life. So what is that promise? There are going to be times in our lives where we lose all of our hope and we lose our purpose here on earth, but in those moments and in every moment, honestly, to keep our hope, we, re- we must remember the promises. So from God's word, what we're gonna see is three things. The first is why the promises are important. The second is what the promises are. And the third is how we remember the promises. The first is why the promises are important, what the promises are, and how we remember the promises. Let's just take a look at the first one. Um, in verse one, we actually have just a continuation of chapter 27 uh, where Jacob just lied and deceived and, and cheated his way um, into being blessed by his father. Um, and it was kind of like his mom's idea. It was kind of messy. Um, and poor Esau, he's been cheated twice now at this point um, by Jacob with the help of his mom both times. Um, so Esau, he says, all right, well, I'm gonna wait for dad to die and then I'm gonna kill you. So mama's boy Jacob gets word from uh, his mom about this news and she's like, you gotta get out of here. You've gotta run away. Um, your brother's gonna kill you, which uh, makes me think that Esau was most likely being serious. It wasn't just like, oh, I could kill you. It's a, I'm going to kill you. Um, so Jacob, he just leaves. And it's not a, hey, I'm just gonna run over to our, my cousin's house for a little bit. It's a, like I'm going out into the wild of the Middle Eastern desert because I'm, I'm fleeing from my life. And maybe out there in the wild, I'll have a better chance of living. And the text is just, it's just beautifully written um, because we're gonna see just a few things about Jacob um, that they're, they're gonna show us why the promises of God are important to him. Uh, just look at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. So it sounds beautiful, like, oh, the sun's setting and we've seen pictures of the desert, um, but where to see this is actually frightening. The sun is setting. The sun setting is a bad thing because the sun was his only source of light. It's not like he can just whip up a lantern or a torch or anything like that. He has nothing. He was sent away with nothing from, but a blessing from his dad. He has nothing. So this is gonna be a good 12 hours, most likely, of creepy, crawly things going bump in the night, hearing those things in the distance, not being able to tell, like, how far away was that thing? Not being able to see your hand in front of your face that dark. 
And not only that, the author just, he keeps going and describes just exactly how little Jacob has in uh, verse 11. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. So this means that Jacob had nothing to roll up and put under his head. He uses a rock. And I think it's honestly kind of funny. Later on, he calls it a pillar. Uh, it's like a, a southern way or a Leah way to say pillow. It's like, hey, you want a pillar? For your head, you can put it under your head. It's a nice pillar. Um, but he has nothing. He has no one. He has no money, no food, no shelter, not even a soft thing for him to lay his head down on. He uses a rock. This is also why, precisely why the promises that God is about to give him mean so much to him, because he has nothing. Suffering is exactly why the promises mean so much. Why are the promises of God important for you and I? Because you and I are also gonna have times of extreme darkness. Maybe it's sin, maybe it's an affair, maybe it's cancer, maybe it's death. Maybe it's that we do not have any friends. Maybe it's that we don't have any money. Maybe it's that life seems already so difficult and that just that glimpse of light is setting on the horizon. We have to have hope. Because just as the sun sets at night, it is inevitable that the sun is going to set on our happiness. Suffering will come and our hope can't be in us or in anything that we have because in darkness, what is Jacob supposed to do with his material things at that point? What's he gonna do? What's he gonna find in himself, a light? We have to have something outside of us to give us hope. The suffering of this life is real and overwhelming, but that suffering that we experience is precisely why the promises of God mean so much. It's exactly why they are so important promises mean really just jack squat to us if, if they don't stay when suffering comes. That's why marriage covenants are uh, better or worse, sickness and in health, rich or for poorer. It would make no sense to make a covenant with a, well, just only if you're rich, only if you keep your good looks, only if it's better. Who wants that marriage? So, uh, well, the crazy thing is just look at, at the grace of when God shows up to give Jacob's, Jacob these promises um, that, that we're about to see right smack dab in the middle of his suffering. In the middle of the darkness is when God shows up to, to give him his grace. If we lose hope, if we, if we lose hope, then we lose our purpose. So now we see why the promises of God are important for us, but we also, I mean, we gotta know what the promises are. It's not enough to know that, okay, yeah, promises are important. What are the promises? Uh, so let's just take a look at the number two. There's actually eight promises in this text alone to Jacob um, and then ultimately to you and I. And the first one is found in verse 13. And just remember the context of where Jacob is when, when God is saying this to him. He's laying probably, if, if a rock was the only thing he could find, he's probably laying on other rocks as well. Um, so just think about that. He's all alone. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. That's the first one. When God says this to Jacob, it's strategic. He's calling to Jacob's mind the miracles of, of what happened with his grandpa, what happened with his dad. Grandpa Abe went from worshiping moon gods to worshiping God, and he left his homeland of 75 years where there was shelter and buildings and homes to live out in the wilderness with a tent people go to die there and, and he not only lived but their whole community they prospered 
They were multiplying left and right. Miracle. So when he says, the God of Abraham, I am the God of Abraham. Remember everything that I did with Abraham. And his dad was a miracle baby, Isaac, born to a couple of century-old people who had no children between them before this. And he still lives in this harsh land, and he prospers too. Like just a miracle. You and I are to look at these men too and to remember the work that God has done. We're to look at the men and women around us and be in awe over their lives of how they've changed over time. And like, man, you used to be really kind of crazy. Now look at you. Look at what God has done in your life. Nothing shows God's work more than a changed life. But of course he keeps going. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Now, honestly, I feel like I've said these few things over and over and over again, like a thousand times over these past few months, but it keeps showing up in the text and there has to be a reason for that. It keeps showing up. Uh, Maybe it's that we so quickly forget, I don't know, Um, but things like this that God himself puts in front of us over and over and over again, uh, I think we need to take notice. So the land on which you lay, it's going to be yours one day. I will give it to you and to all of the men and women you share the gospel with to all of the men and women you share your life of faith with, those you disciple, those who have discipled you. This land is yours and theirs. For us again, like how how can we be thinking of the land that is to come? The land of heaven. What can we do to bring to mind all that is waiting for us in the next life? You can think about it forever. Sharing the gospel is a task uh, that sounds super scary until you think about it in, the, in light of eternity. Until you think about the people that you will be with there in the new heaven and the new earth where there's gonna be no more tears, no more crying, no more sadness. Everything's gonna be perfect. If we truly believe that there is a hell, sharing the gospel shouldn't be scary. Not sharing the gospel should be scary. We lose a friend for eternity and they suffer for eternity. We must live with the promise of our land to come in our minds to give us that hope to to show us, okay, here is is part of your purpose. Remember that land. Some people are living right now and they might not get to see it. Go proclaim the gospel to them. Maybe they know, maybe they don't. Go anyway. But he keeps going in verse 14. Your offspring, those who you do share the gospel with and your faith with, shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. So this is God's work. God is going to spread our offspring out like the dust of the earth and and Jacob is actually laying in a land of, of dust and dirt being in the desert so it's even more applicable for him. For us, it's like, okay, dust, I, I have a lot of dust in my house but he's in a desert. So much dust, so much dirt Um, So ultimately, you know what this means? We don't have to worry about numbers or statistics. God is going to spread our spiritual offspring all across the globe, even if we never see it, probably especially if we never see it. That's God's work. So again, uh, just the question comes up, who are you discipling? Who is discipling you? Who, are you? who are you taking time out of your day to go and spend time with to maybe have a chance to, sh- to share the gospel with them? And here's the thing. As long as you and I read our Bibles, we aren't going to escape this question. 
It's always going to be there. It's been there for the past four or five months. In you, he keeps going, sorry. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So here we come back again to this purpose. The new land that you and I get to see if we are believers, the new heaven, the new earth, the, the perfect land, it's only possible if we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ from the eternal suffering that comes from not knowing Christ as our Savior. We have been blessed by Jesus Christ with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but there are people on this earth who are perishing, dying every day who will not see this land. There are men and women who do not know or do not care about the gospel of Jesus. And if we believe our Bibles, then the outcome for them is terrifying. Do you see how the promises show us our, our purpose? It gives us that hope of God's going to do this work. He's going to make sure that the offspring spreads. All I can do is show up. This, is, this specific promise gives a whole lot of purpose because it shows us that this life isn't about us. Our faith isn't about us. It's first and foremost about God and his glory and, and seeing his glory reign over the earth. But then secondly, it's about other people. Only thirdly, is it really about us? Our purpose as believers in Jesus Christ is to extend the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ to who? All the families of the earth. Everyone. This means that we should go across the street to our neighbor who maybe says they're a believer because we do live here in Forney. But you just have this gut feeling that maybe they aren't. You go to proclaim the gospel to them. This means that we should go across oceans to unreached people groups to go boldly in faith and proclaim this gospel and this Jesus to those who need it. If you have this desire deep down, please do not squash it. Go. There will never be an easy time or a best time. Here is your hope. Now you have your purpose. Go. We're actually uh, training, going through training as a church to uh, partner with a, a missions organization, <laughs> a missions organization uh, called Frontiers. Um, and what we're going to do is just begin sending out church-based teams. So. Traditionally, how it works is people will go to a missions organization and say, hey, I'd love to go be a missionary. Um, how do I do that? And then they, the, the organization will send them and they go around to, um, to raise support and raise uh, finances to be able to go to different people. But um, what we're gonna be partnering with them to do is we're gonna send a team from our own church and we're gonna help provide for them and we're gonna be the ones to say, no, we'll take care of you. So uh, if that's anything that you feel, if that's anything that you have a heart for, but you're not really sure, you have some questions about it, uh, we're gonna have a four-week study this fall just for the first four weeks of our discipleship groups, um, just kind of walking through that. And if at any time, if you have a heart for this and you feel that about you, uh, please do not squash it. That is a work that is super important. All the families of the earth, how does that happen? We go. Um, and if, if you cannot go, if you are physically unable to go, uh, that's one cool thing about the church-based team is you can do everything else. You can help send them. You can pray for them. You can be with them as, when they come back. You can even go to visit them if you can go for a week to help build them up and encourage them and say, keep going. You're doing a great work. What we see from Scripture just all over the book is the purpose of believers 
being for the people of the world, for all the families of the earth. Uh, we cannot be those who say, oh, someone else will go. Oh, it's up to us. Sure, other people will go as we go too. Jim Elliott, uh, he's a famous missionary. Uh, he went to a remote village on a river to simply just try to share the gospel with these people that had, have never been seen outside of when they went. Um, and he, he went, he was a seminary student who just read his Bible and he's like, yeah, I, I don't think I can do that here. I'm going overseas. I'm going to find the, the hardest place, the people uh, that do not know anything about really even other cultures and I'm gonna go try to just share the gospel with them. I'm gonna learn their language. I'm gonna spend time with them. I'm gonna go and he, the, the plane drops down on the river. It was a uh, river plane, a, a water plane, drops down. They step out of the plane and they're instantly overtaken by spears and they're killed. Him and, and the four friends that he was with. Jim Elliott is known for having said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott knew his purpose. He knew his purpose as a believer and he wasn't going to play around with it. He went knowing that he could lose his life and he ultimately did. Why? He knew this promise to bless the nations, to bless all the families of the earth. And he's like, I, I read the Bible. That's what I'm going to do. This is why God just told Jacob uh, all of these things and, and it can be a little overwhelming. So this is why he says, on this next promise in verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. The God who crafted the giraffe and who spoke Jupiter into existence and who causes nations to rise and fall, that God is with you and will keep you wherever you go. Not, not complacently, not as we sit, as we go. It better, it better reads as you go, as we're on mission and as we are on, we have this purpose and we feel that, we see the hope of God in our lives. We're like, all right, I remember my purpose now and we're gonna go to bless, to, to be with those people that God loves. And ultimately, we have the God who loves them way more than we do dwelling in us. And he's gonna cause those efforts to be fruitful and then he keeps going, and then I'll bring you back to this land. Quite simply, I will bring you home to the promised land. I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna keep you. You cannot escape my grace and my mercy. And then once you're done with all that, I'll bring you home. And then you can spend eternity with me in perfect land. And then lastly, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. That's amazing. God's promise to Jacob and his promise to you and I, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. The list of things that God just walked Jacob through were exactly what he needed to hear. You don't have any friends, but I'm with you. You don't have any hope. Here is a dump truck load of hope. You don't have a home. Here is mine. And the very dust that, that you're laying in, God says, there is your purpose. Remember, as you see the dust flying up with the wind, that's like your offspring. I'm gonna do that work. So for you and I, the Bible is where we find our promises. God's word is where we find our promises and those promises give us hope. 
All of these promises are amazing and wonderful and truly mind-blowing if we do set our minds to them. But our question is, how do we remember them? Because if, you, if you're anything like me, you lose hope quick. It's easy to get wrapped up in everything that the earth has for you. Like, oh, I got kids to deal with. I got a diaper to change. I got this thing going on. Oh my gosh, I'm late for that thing. It's so easy to lose hope. And so, so many things happen that go wrong in our lives. Like we, I don't know which church says that life goes well for you after you're a Christian, but I just feel like that's wrong. I feel like I became a Christian and ultimately life got harder. But that's the way it is. God says you will suffer. Jesus Christ suffered. You're gonna suffer. Our question is, how do we remember these promises? If we need hope to have a purpose and we get hope from remembering, from remembering the promises that God has made to us, our question is, how do we do it? The answer actually comes in what we are looking at. Uh, this is the third one, how we remember the promises. What we remember depends mostly on what it is we are looking at. What we remember depends mostly on what it is we are looking at. For instance, if you're trying to take a calculus test um, and you study history the whole time, you're not going to do very well on your calculus test. Plus, calculus is really hard. To, to remember, you have to study it. You have to look at it. You have to know it. Uh, and so from our text, we're just going to see that uh, God tells Jacob to behold, which is to, to look, to see, to reflect, to contemplate with your eyes. And he's going to tell him to do that three times. And the first comes in verse 12. And he dreamed, Jacob, as he, as he lay down on, the, on his rock, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. Look and see, Jacob, there's a ladder, and which really is kind of a poor translation, honestly, because it should seem more like a grand staircase that reaches from uh, earth to heaven, because you don't normally see two sides of a ladder working. Um, usually, if you see somebody going down when you're going up, uh, that was me when I had all my stuff going on. I was really... Um, if that happens, Jake fell off the roof. But he's saying, look and see this grand staircase of, of angels descending and ascending. And he even says that next. And behold, the angels of God are ascending and descending on it. This is to say, no matter how dark your life seems to you, look and see the work that I am doing. You couldn't see it until I showed it to you. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean I'm not working. Do not think that I have forgotten or that I've given up. I've promised you something and I'm not going to stop until it is finished. You cannot see it, Jacob, but I'm always working and working for your good. And in 13, uh, lastly, behold, the Lord stood above it, which is another, I think, poor translation because if you have ESV, um, you'll see a footnote, number three, that I think just holds the truest meaning of it, which says the Lord stood beside him. Look and see this ladder, this grand staircase. Look and see the angels descending and ascending on the ladder, the, the power of God to do this work. Look and see the Lord standing beside him. Standing beside who? Standing beside the ladder. The ladder is a him. The ladder is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the go-between between us and heaven, between us and God. Jesus extended himself to earth from heaven to make a way for us to see our land one day. It is by Jesus that the, the, all of that work, the angels ascending and descending on him, it's by Jesus that the work is done on earth. It is by Jesus that we are to see any work here at all. 
What we remember depends mostly on what we are looking at, what we are beholding, and we're called three times to behold Jesus. To look at and to to contemplate with our eyes Jesus Christ, our Savior. Christ is the ladder. Christ is the way. We have no way of getting to heaven but by this ladder. If we climb up by any other way, we're thieves and robbers. And then our, our God actually alludes to it um, in another footnote that leads you to John 1:51, which says, and he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man, the latter, Jesus Christ. We are to see, we are to behold Jesus. And in beholding Jesus, we remember the promises of God to us. When we look to Jesus, we remember that God's gonna give us a land. When we look to Jesus, we remember that God wants to bless the nations and is gonna do so through us as we go. When we look to Jesus, we remember that God is with us. When we behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of man, we remember our status as sons and daughters and walk into this world encouraged and and built up and motivated in that very purpose. When we behold Jesus, we behold our hope. And then I, I just love what Jacob says in response in verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, and remember, there's nobody around. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate, which is the entrance of heaven. It's Jesus. And then 18, so early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. Jacob is in awe over this encounter with God. It causes Jacob to pour out his oil, probably literally the only thing that he has left, to mark this place as special. He worships. He pours out everything he has in response to everything that God just showed him, in response to everything that God just said to him. It's a response to the true vision of this ladder, this Jesus Christ, and it's why we sing. It's why you and I sing the words that we do. It's because if we're believers, we've had an encounter with Christ. And we see that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And so when we sing, it's in response to that news. Like, yes, you are amazing. How awesome is this place? How amazing is Jesus? How amazing is that ladder? So this is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to pour our oil on this place. What we're going to do is we're going to Uh, worship this God and King and we're going to do so by taking communion together and then we're going to sing again together and if this Jesus is yours if you have had this encounter with God where you stand in awe of this Jesus where you say God it is nothing that I have done if you've believed in Jesus and turned from your sin in response to him over and over and over again then you're welcome to the table if however you are in unrepentant sin or if you have not yet believed, I ask that you remain in your seat. The Bible says that uh, if Jesus is not your savior yet, then you eat and drink condemnation. Uh, You eat and drink in an unworthy manner. But if you are unrepentant, believe in Jesus again today. Believe in that work, the work on the cross for you today again. Turn from your sin today again. There is grace waiting for you. 
we can't see it. We don't know what it looks like. But God's working. How do we know? We have the ladder. Or uh, if you're an unbeliever, turn from your sin to belief in Jesus Christ this morning for the first time. If you're unsure of how to do this, please find me, grab the person next to you and say, what, what did, how does this work? For all of us here, uh, this is our prayer. Father, we admit that we need this body and this blood to behold Jesus. Would you, by the vision of Jesus, give us courage and boldness to live out the purpose you have for us in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. It was an Irish man who, uh, in the 6th century, he was late in his life. He was growing weak in his strength. And, and after he had been blind for a few years, he wrote these words. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. I ever with thee and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling and I with thee one. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall. Still be my vision, O ruler of all. Man who had no vision at all wrote those words. For you and I, God, let my eyes be filled with nothing but your Son. Let me behold Jesus that I may grow to love him more and more. Never let me stop looking at Jesus. Let you be my vision that I may look at Jesus and in a world, um, and at the world in a proper view. Like Jacob, open my eyes. Be my vision. Lord, be my vision. God gives us hope in that way. When we are in despair, when that time of despair does come, God shows up to remind us of the promises he has made to us to give us hope by showing us Jesus. God made sure that this vision-transforming reality would be ours by coming to earth, extending his grace, extending out his ladder, his son Jesus, the true offspring of Abraham, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, even if we never see a vision like Jacob. We can always know without a doubt that God has completed the work when we look to the cross. How do we know? Because on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Gracious Father, 
I know how, how deep in my heart that I want and I long for this to be true in my life, that I would just look, for, when I lose hope, that I would just look to Jesus, but honestly, it's really difficult to. Life does throw a ton of stuff at us. God, would you step in and do this impossible work for us? Would you break my heart? Would you break our hearts for those people of this world that do not know you? Would you remind us of, of the work that Jesus has done for us so that we don't have to earn it, so that we cannot lose it, so that we have a hope, so that we do not lose the very reason why you brought us here to earth to be on this earth. Help us to glorify you. Make us, uh, make the, the fruit of our efforts just grow and blossom, even if we never see it. And in all of this, God, we thank you for the latter. We thank you that there is a way, a truth, and a life in Jesus Christ. And in every peace, every part of affliction that we do feel, would you remind us, would you show us, would you make us behold Jesus Christ? For that, God, we thank you.